Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. <laughs> yes! Time to blow shit up, kids. The Michael Bay of business, boys and girls. Let's do this. Cindy Gallup. That's right. Today, kids, we have Cindy Gallup, founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn, founder and CEO of We... If we ran the world, and Cindy, you're on far too many advisory boards to mention. Uh, but last and not least, I mean, if lo- make love not porn wasn't eye catching enough, your slogan is, I like to blow shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. Give it up for Cindy Gallup, oh, everybody. Cindy, welcome. <laughs> welcome Thank to, you. Welcome to HR's Most Dangerous Podcast. Let's, uh, let's blow some shit up, shall we? I'm delighted to be here and looking forward to it. Excellent. Excellent. So right out of the gate, we need to hear more about Cindy Gallup. Give us a little bit about your story, where you started. How did you make it here? I mean, being the Michael Bay of business. By complete accident. Um, My entire life and career has been a series of accidents. I've never planned anything. My background is 35 years working in advertising, marketing, and brand building. 16 of those for the same advertising agency, um, Bartle Bogle Hegarty, BBH, for whom I worked in London, um, helped start up and run their Asia-Pacific office in Singapore back in 96. And then the reason I'm here in New York is I moved here in 98 to start up um, BBH's American office for them, which began as me in a room with a phone, starting an advertising agency in the world's toughest advertising marketplace. So that was fun. Um, ran the agency BBH New York for a number of years. And in 2005, um, struck out to work for myself and have been doing that ever since. So in, in terms of advertising, I'm, I'm, you know, the perception of two middle-aged white guys, uh, by the way, you say, if you want to own the future, don't listen to white guys. So I'm going to do as little talking <laughs> as possible um, as I can. But the perception of advertising is sort of this mad men, old school environment. But then you think, OK, we've got to be like beyond that by now. But you have a story with uh, with VaynerMedia and Thrillist. They were. Uh, getting women picks before they were giving invitations to a to a party. What what was that story about? Oh, that, that was several years ago at um, the Cannes Lions Advertising Festival um, that happens in the south of France every year. Um, not this year, obviously. Um, and, and and by the way, that was just one of a number of um, extremely sexist episodes that I um, called out publicly um, that particular year at Cannes Lions. But the incident um, you're referring to was that VaynerMedia and Thrillist held a party where their party organizer very ill-advisedly um, did a mass mailing to people at, at Cannes um, basically telling women that they would need to apply with um, a photograph to be vetted, to be admitted to the party. And I tweeted this, um, pointing out um, that it was, um, I, I think the year was, um, I think this is back in 2016, and this is not um, how the advertising industry should work. And Gary Vaynerchuk, to give him full credit, immediately apologized profusely Um 
but um, but but as I say, that was just one of a whole range of appallingly sexist um, issues with that Cannes Lions advertising festival, and you, you know, to, um, and that is just the tip of the iceberg for our industry um, as a whole. And so, um, I, I want to just pick up um, and clarify for your viewers the you know light-hearted reference you made to what I say about uh, white men, because um, but because I, I want to be very accurate about that. And, and this is why, by the way, a lot has not changed since the Mad Men days. So, uh, despite all of this talk about gender equality, diversity, and inclusion um, in the advertising industry. And by the way, everything I say about the advertising industry applies to every other industry. So we are not seeing change actually happen on this front. And there's a very simple reason why not, which is that at the top of the ad industry, as at the top of every other industry, is a closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. Those white guys are sitting very pretty. They have their enormous salaries, gigantic bonuses, big pools of stock options, lavish expense accounts. Why on earth would they ever want to rock the boat? Oh, oh, they have to talk diversity. They have to appoint a chief diversity officer. They have to have a diversity initiatives. They have to say the word diversity a lot, especially in public. Secretly, Deep down inside, they don't want to change a thing because the system is working just fine for them as it currently is. It's like the old joke about the light bulb. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. <laughs> and in every industry, the light bulb does not really want to change. That is the problem. Sounds hopeless. How do we fix it? The way we fix it um, is what I've been saying to um, women black talent, talent of color, LGBTQ talent, disabled talent for years, which is start your own industry. And what I mean by that is start your own business. But I deliberately articulate it in that way, because when all those of us who are other start our own businesses, we are effectively starting the industry that we would all much rather be working in. Because when you start your own business, you have the opportunity to design your own business from the ground up to work the way that you would love it to work. And when enough of us do that, and when enough of us prove that we can make a lot of money doing that, that is when the old world order in every industry goes bloody hell we need to do it like that too. Now, um, this process, I'm happy to say, has been this year rapidly accelerated because um, the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter protests, and, and both, by the way, um, are global and having a global impact, um, they have ensured that the world will never be the same again. And that is very good news, especially for those of us who were never the status quo to begin with. Because it is only when everything breaks down this utterly and completely that allows new models and new ways of doing things to emerge that never would have otherwise. And so right now, um, there are two dynamics at play. First of all, there is the dynamic of what the pandemic and the protests are making happen as we speak, the breakdown of the old world order. And then there is the dynamic of what I encourage everybody to do, which is... 
Um, what happens when we seize that opportunity and leverage this breakdown to design and invent the future that we all want to live and work in? And I'm encouraging everybody to do that right now because every one of us can. So, Cindy, one of the biggest issues we've seen with black and brown businesses is, is they can't go to banks. They have to start pretty much their businesses with cash. So they're hamstrung right out of the gate. I mean, we we know society is not equal. And for anybody who says it is, obviously, um, they're the ones in the ivory tower. So it, it is it is much harder to pull yourself up by the bootstraps when you don't even have boots. How can some of these can some of these individuals actually do this? That's I mean, that, that's the hard part, right? Sure. What I always say is that change happens from the bottom up, not the top down. For the reason I just spelt out, if we wait for institutional change, we're going to be waiting a very long time. And so what I'm delighted to see happening is, um, again, what I've encouraged everybody who is other to do for years, which is, uh, and, and by the way, I need to just check, um, am I allowed to use profanity on this podcast? Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Because, um, because what I say to women, black talent, talent of color, you know, again, everybody who is other is unashamedly set out to make an absolute goddamn fucking shit ton of money. And I explain that I deliberately articulate it like that because that is how much money I want each of us to set out to make. And the reason for that is not, and, and in this case, I mean, everything we're talking about is intersectional, but, but because um, you um, have brought up the issue quite rightly of racism, um, I'm going to apply this just to um, black talent and the black economy. Um, th this is why it's so important for black talent to set out to make an absolute goddamn fucking shit ton of money, not just to benefit yourselves, but when you do that, that money then enables you to fund other black talent. It enables you to support black talent. It enables you to donate to black talent. It enables you to help black talent. We need to build our own financial ecosystem because the white male one is not working for us. And so what is happening at the moment to address the issue you raise is, first of all, um, you know, there are too few black-owned banks in this country, um, again, because you know racism applies in every single area you can think of. But um, two of the black-owned banks um, are merging, and I'm afraid I can't off the top of my head remember what they're called, but they are merging to create one institution that, that is, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, to be able to um, you know, transform the ability for black people, black businesses to be able to get, you know, the loans and the credit and the financing and the support they need. Um, then there are a host of um, organizations that are working to support black businesses at the grassroots level. So um, I'd like to highlight for your audience the Buy from a Black Woman directory. Just Google Buy from a Black Woman and you'll find it, which encourages all of us to support um, Black female-owned businesses. Um, and, um, and also, um, I'd like to give a shout out to the brilliant Catherine Finney, who runs a, a wonderful business called Digital um, Undivided. She has launched the Dooney Fund. The Dooney Fund is named after her grandmother. And what the Dooney Fund does is it makes micro investments in black female entrepreneurs. Um, and, and, and these are very small investments, you know, to, um, under a thousand 
But, but, but the key thing here is that the Dooney Fund makes these investments as friction-free as possible. You know, to qualify, um, you just have to, have to self-identify as a black female. Um, you have to own your business. Um, you have to have a reasonable presence digitally and, and on social media. And you can apply to the Dooney Fund. And when you get your grant, no strings attached. You can spend it on whatever you want, whether, whether by the way, that's self-care, which can be just as important for a stressed out founder as anything directly to do, do with your business. And Catherine says on the, on the Dooney Fund um, website, you know, this is because I firmly believe that black women know what is good for their businesses better than anybody else. That's the kind of friction-free, unconditional support that we need to see for everybody who is other. And so there are, there are many, many initiatives like this that are absolutely working um, to counter racism at the grassroots level. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. Building a cult brand is not easy, which is why you need friends like Rupesh Nair, CEO of Symphony Talent on your side. Okay, Rupesh, hiring companies can't hire diverse candidates if diverse candidates aren't applying for their jobs. What should hiring companies do differently to attract a more diverse candidate? So for diversity specifically, companies should think about why do they want diversity in their organization and ensure that they are bringing that into the conversations about hiring diverse candidates because that's how they can be genuine about diversity because just checking a box saying I want to be hiring diverse candidates is not going to help. So the first thing is thinking about why do you want diversity? What are the different groups you're targeting as you think about diversity? And then bringing those messages, which basically is going to resonate to that particular group of diverse candidates into your engagement, whether it is kind of as you reach out in the mass media and target specific diverse groups, as you basically nurture these diverse groups once they have connection with you is very important. Because to your point, you won't get a diverse candidate till you get in front of a candidate. And the only way you can do that is by figuring out what is the connection point between you and the diverse candidate. And it is very, very easy to kind of cast a net saying, I want diverse candidate. But the truth is there are many, many groups of that diverse candidate and you need to be really clear on who exactly are you targeting. Let Symphony Talent help activate your brand and keep relationships at the heart of your talent strategy. For more information, visit symphonytalent.com. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. What about politics? 
because we are seeing a huge turn of events. Obviously, we, we hopefully, crossing my fingers, are going to have a black female vice president. What about that kind of press? Because I understand it's got to happen grassroots, but we also need to have to, to make sure that it happens and it doesn't take 200 years for women to get paid just as much as men do, which is ridiculous. How do we accelerate this from the top down and in the bottom up? I want to focus in very specifically um, now on what is the topic of this podcast, which is HR. So um, there is a very, very simple way to end racism in the corporate world right now. Um, all you have to do is hire welcome and promote black talent. That's it. It's that simple. Now, um, now um, and, 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 and by the way, um, I am being very semantically precise. I've used each of those words for a reason. Hire, welcome, and promote. And I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. Um, but the key thing here is that the actions are simple. Actually implementing them is not. And, and so um, I'll talk through what I mean by that. And, and also just for your audience, because I, I want to be very clear about uh, where I'm coming from. So this is what I do um, as a business consultant. I am not the unconscious bias trainer. I am not the diversity inclusion coach. What I am is a hard-headed business strategist. And what I do is I, I help companies and HR departments re-engineer their day-to-day -day working processes and operations to integrate equality, diversity, and inclusion into them in a way that makes those things key drivers of growth, profitability, and successful business outcomes. Because unless we do that, um, nothing takes. So um, I'm, I'm going to give you an example, um, several examples of um, what I mean by that. So and I'm going to use um, um, a specific example, again, given the theme of this podcast, HR. I get this call all the time. Okay. Um, and I was getting it, I've been getting it for years, but I'm obviously getting it now all the more um, this year. So somebody calls me and says, Hi, Cindy. You know, I've got this really great senior position open and I want to hire a black woman. Who do you know? I get this call all the time. What I say is it doesn't work like that. And then I explain how it does work. And again, this is, this is what I do. And, um, and again, I'll use an example. I'm not going to name any names here, but I got this call last year from a very senior person in a huge global company, extremely well-known, with a huge portfolio of very well-known brands. And, and, and he reached out. And so I knew what we were going to be talking about um, and had the chance to do a bit of research beforehand. And so the first thing um, I said um, to this person was, you need to completely re-engineer your job description because I said, you have written your job description uh, and, and undoubtedly unconsciously, but you've written this job description to appeal to white men. And the demonstration of how much it does that is that you posted this job description on LinkedIn and the comments thread, there's a very long comments thread under this job description on LinkedIn, which is full of white men either recommending themselves for this position or recommending other white men. 
And so I basically deconstructed this job description. And um, again, you know, I won't go into details because it was it was um, it was very specific to, to the particular company. But I, I'll give you one example of of what I am advised. So within this job description, he had said to the prospective candidate, "You will have a creative track record that makes us all envious." And I said to him, "No, they won't, because if you are black talent." Um, and especially in this case, because this is what he asked for, you know, if you are a black woman, you will never have had that opportunity. You will never have been given that opportunity. You will never have been promoted into the kind of positions where you can make that be real. So what you need to write instead is, this is the position where you can bring all of that creative talent and energy to do the kind of work you've always wanted to do. You want to attract a black woman into this role, that's what you have to say in the job description. Not, you will have a creative track record that makes us all envious. So, um, you know, um, action number one, you have to completely re-engineer your job description. Um, Action number two, you have to re-engineer your interview process. So, um, when white male candidates are interviewed by other white men, those white men are looking for reasons to hire that white man. And that is the frame of mind in which they approach the interview process from a point of positivity. When white men are interviewing the rest of us, they approach that process from a point of negativity. They are actively looking for reasons not to hire us. And by the way, um, this may be unconscious, but it's absolutely the case. They are actively looking for red flags. And so you have to completely re-engineer your interview process. And again, to the point I made earlier, white male candidates get hired on potential, not proof. It's very easy for white male leaders looking at white male candidates to go, oh, he reminds me of myself at his age. I can see myself in him. He's great to have a beer with. Yeah, we reckon he can do the job. When you are a woman, a black woman, a Hispanic woman, an Asian woman, it's a whole different set of criteria. Well, has she done the job before? Has she done the job long enough? Has she done the job well enough? Women, black talent, of color talent, get hired on proof, not potential, and not even then. And so you have to re-engineer your interview process to hire diverse talent based on potential, not proof. And so, you know, for example, I said to this, white man, um, you know, who, who, who made this call last year, I said, um, you need to re-engineer your recruiter brief. This is the third action. Because I know that what you've done is you're looking for this very big role and you have briefed your recruiters to find other people currently doing this role um, at that level. Brief your recruiters to find brilliant black talent, black female talent, one or two or even three levels down from that level. Because I said to him, um, I guarantee that when you brief for candidates based on potential not proof, you will find a ton of talent one or two levels down that will do the job even better than the white men currently in that role who never had to contend with all of those racist, sexist obstacles to get to where they are. So, rebrief based on potential not proof. And then the fourth action is you have to re-engineer your working environment. Because if you truly want a black female candidate, any black female candidate is going to look at your working environment, 
and see a ton of white male faces as as she would with this company and go, why the fuck would I want to put myself in there? I know exactly what's going to happen. And, um, and I said to him, you know, actually, it's very easy to re-engineer a working environment. All you do is you immediately promote all of that brilliant black talent currently in your company that has been held back for years without promotion because of inherent internal systemic racism. It's very easy to re-engineer a working environment so that that black female candidate coming in looks and sees black talent being promoted, welcomed, enabled to thrive, and is willing at least to give you the benefit of the doubt. Those are some examples of how companies can end racism in the corporate world by hiring, welcoming, and promoting black talent. The job description piece, we have been pounding on the table for decades, Cindy. Joel and I have been in this industry for two decades, said this is fucked up. This needs to change. One thing I do want to throw out, though, is that we're seeing huge leaps and bounds in technology. And one, one of the technologies is actually this interviewing a robot. And, and whether you have the software or you actually have the physical form, whatever it is, do you think technology actually not allowing that white dude to do the interview and allow technology just to say, this is the best person, culture fit or whatever it might be for this position and, and really make that higher? Um, no, absolutely not. Because, okay. um, because as I'm sure both of you know, technology is a massively white male dominated industry. And I'm sure you have already read the vast amounts of coverage of how racist and sexist and biased artificial intelligence is because it's been designed by white men. Well, that was part one of our two part blowing shit up discussion with Cindy Gallup. Look for part two, and while you're at it, subscribe so you don't miss Cindy or any of the Chad and Cheese snark-filled episodes with people much smarter than we are. Just go to chadcheese.com, hit subscribe, and pick Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's chadcheese.com. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.